I'm gonna get some help today. All I gotta tell you, all I gotta tell you is we have some preachers at Real Life Church and uh, you are going to be blessed. I was actually, I was like, wow, you know, uh, first service and I had people coming up to me after service and saying, wow, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. And so how you know, God no longer gives me a word, but he gives our entire staff a word for our church. And so that's encouraging to me. Um, I learned that uh, the fifth Sunday uh, of the, when, whenever there's a month that has a fifth Sunday, that we call it a family service at Real Life. And so I wanted to experience it myself as well as add some of my own touches to it. So this morning, um, I've invited them uh, to help me preach a message I've entitled Fighting for Our Families. Fighting for Our Families. We had already decided the theme of today's message on Monday. And then this last Tuesday at our prayer room at the Artisan, we started praying for families. And George Beasley, who comes to first service, he sits right over here. Um, he, was, he was leading us in prayer and he started to going to war as the intensity of our prayers increased for our families. Towards the end of the week, I heard the phrase, and here's the phrase I want to give you this morning. It's time to stop fighting with our families and time to st start fighting for our families. Hello. All right. Now I realize some of us didn't get to church without a family fight. Right? How you know it's tough to get to church on Sunday sometimes? You got to wake up the kids, make sure they got breakfast, you know, get them in the minivan, you know, and we're just, when we get to church, it's a victory in Jesus' name. Amen? But it's a tough day. It can be a tough day on family. So thank you for getting your kids here today. But Nehemiah 4, 13, 14, and I'm going to be very brief this morning as I hand it over to my team, says, Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall. I really believe that God is positioning men at Real Life Church to build a wall of prayer over our families. He said, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, their swords, their spears, and their bows. How many know God equips us for warfare? He gives us everything we need. Verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. You see, God had called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And I want to encourage you, God has called us as a body in this season to build a house of prayer. And I just want to encourage you, we do not have to be afraid of the enemy of discouragement. We do not have to be afraid of the enemy's voice who would try to say, stop building, stop building that house of prayer. No, we can stand against the enemy in victory and say, you have no authority in this place. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Here we go. Great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What I'd like to point out briefly as we kick things off this morning is this. That whenever we have an opportunity 
Whenever there is an opportunity before us, many times opposition will come against us. And as a church family, it's important for us to understand that whenever you set out to build something the Lord has said to build, it's going to involve a battle. But here's the good news. How many know we've already won the battle? But listen, we've got to show up and we've got to answer this call to prayer that God is calling us to. Right now it's on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30 and Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. We want to be a house of prayer, not a house with prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And we need to be aware it's the last thing the enemy wants us to do. You see, if the enemy can distract us from his feet, what I've been telling us the last several weeks, if the enemy can distract us from his feet and keep us off our knees and prevent us from receiving the word over our lives, our families, and our church, listen, he can keep us from walking in victory. But I'm here to encourage you, church. We are going to walk in the victory that the Lord has provided us. You see, the enemy looks for the lowest places in the wall. He looks for cracks in the wall. He looks for cracks where he can enter and cause confusion. And that's, to be honest with you, that's why I'm so transparent as a leader. That's why I want you to know exactly where we're at. Why? Because when you know where I'm at, listen, you know how to fight for me, not with me. I mean, you know how to fight with me and for me. Correct? When you know what I'm going through, you know how to pray for me. You know how to pray for our staff. But if I just keep it to myself and we just keep it amongst us, you never know what's going on. And then you're surprised when you hear something. All right, that wasn't in my notes. But anyway, <laughs> he looks for cracks in the wall where he can enter and cause confusion. And today, like Nehemiah, I've called our team together. And I just want to say these guys have my back. And this seven weeks, we have bonded. I feel like we have bonded. You guys can tell me if I'm lying. I felt like we have bonded rather quickly with a lot of things coming at us and things that and the challenges that are coming at us. We've bonded really quickly. But I've called our team together to help us build a wall of prayer today around our children, our teens, our singles, our wives, our husbands, and our church family as we continue this series called Building a life of prayer. Good morning. Now, before you answer back, we're going to have some fun this morning. So, kids, are you here? Is there any kids here? Yeah. Let's make some noise, kids. Yeah. All right. Now, kids, this part's for you. When I say good morning, I want only the kids to say good morning. But when you say good morning, I want you to say good morning like your parents tell you good morning every morning. Okay, are you ready? Good morning. Yeah. All right. Now, parents, are there any parents in the house? Let's make some noise, parents. There we go. Now, parents, if you're like me, I take great joy when my kids were still uh, little. I would wake up them every morning and I would say, Good morning! Woo! And every time they were like this, Oh, Dad, come on! Just like that. So, we know how our kids like to wake up. So parents, when I say good morning, I want you to say good morning like your kids say good morning, especially on the first day of school. All right, you guys ready? Good morning! 
I have a very precious mother-in-law, and I couldn't be more thankful for her, but every now and then, she'll call me on the phone, and, I'll, and it's in the morning, and I'll be like, hello? And she'll be like this, good morning, good morning, good morning, it's time to rise and shine. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and I go like this. I'm just kidding. Don't hang up on your mother-in-law. That's a rule, kids, that's a rule, okay? In fact, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are here this morning, and I would like them to stand. If you could, Keith and Mavon Chilson, they are right here. They are visiting. They were not only my, my, my in-laws, but they are also my pastors for like 20 years. And Keith and Mavon have poured into my life, and they have allowed me to make mistakes, and they have watched, and they've given the parent face like this as they just prayed that God was doing his will in my life. And so, Keith Mavon Chilson this morning, I honor. Can we give them a round of applause? We either thank them or we blame them. Uh, but my name is Sean Marshall. I'm the kids pastor here. And every Sunday in kids, next Sunday, kids services resume. If you're new here, we have full kids services with worship. We teach from the word of God. We, we uh, pray together and we have a whole lot of fun. Right, kids? That's right. So I would like some friends to come up here. Clara and Sammy and Dasha, can you guys come up to the stage right now? Right over here. Right over here. Let's say hi, Sammy. Hi, Clara. Hi, Dasha. Now, these are my friends, and their parents are here. And like any parents, we want the best for our kids. Am I right? We want the best education. We want the best health. We want the best food. We want the best friends. And we really, as parents, we try, to put, we try to pour our best into our kids because someday they're going to get older and we're going to send them off in a direction that we have planned for them. We have been carefully planning all these years the perfect direction for our kids. And then we watch as they prepare to leave. Ready? Everyone put your hands on it. Here we go. Ready? On the count of three, we're going to let it go. And we watch because we have the direction... Right, Vassal Trust, right, Armstrongs? That our kids are going to go exactly in the direction that we have been praying for and planning for all these years. Ready? One, two, three, let it go. Uh, not quite what we planned, but everyone say, God is good. Let's say, thanks, kids. You see, as soon as they, thank you, as soon as they veer or something comes at them, our natural instinct as parents is to put the shield up, put our arms around them, and karate chop anything that might hurt our kids. And why do we do that? Because we are good parents. That's why. We try to correct the course and remove the hazards. However, there are times that we must stand and watch and get on our knees and pray for our children without physical inter intervention because God is at work in the lives of our children. Let's say that together. God is at work in the lives of our children. We're talking about how to pray for our kids this morning. Turn with me, if you could, to James chapter 1. It says this in verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Who could use a little joy this morning? Who has a little joy this morning? Well, it says right here in James chapter, chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials 
of many kinds. Whether they're your fault or whether they're someone else's fault, let's say it together. God is at work in the lives of our kids. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We want joy for our kids, right? Well, there's a joy that comes if we are able to go through a trial and we don't want to hold that joy back from our kids because of our instinct to protect them from every obstacle and every trial and every hardship. I want to bring up another friend of mine. He shares my name. Sean Hawk, are you here? Let's give a warm welcome to Sean Hawk, everybody. What a great name. He even spells it the right way. He's going the long way. Come on over here, Sean. You see Sean right over here. Sean, uh, God has made you perfect, right? Yes. Yes. And you are perfect, right? Never make any mistakes? Yeah. Oh. But sometimes hard things happen, right, Sean? Yeah. Like the first day of school? Yeah. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes you make a mistake, and our life gets a little off. And our parents don't like this. Our parents go, no, I want my son to be perfect. I want nothing to ever happen to him. So, so I want you to show everyone how sometimes life can just create trials and hardships by just messing that up for me. Just mess that up. Spend a few minutes messing that up. There are times, parents, that there are times to intervene, and there are times to simply just stand by and watch. How do we pray for our kids? We pray for discernment. God will use teachers, neighbors, coaches, friends we don't like, friends we do like, even ourselves and relatives to do something incredible in all of their lives. God is at work in all of our lives. Amen? You have to use discernment when acting on an impulse to protect. You prepare your child to be a warrior for God's kingdom by teaching them to run to God in every single situation instead of running from every difficulty. I want to turn to Luke chapter 4 and read this. Jesus said in, at the end of this passage, there was many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one healed with Naaman, a Syrian. And when the people of Nazareth heard this, heard this the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, and, uh, jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the cliff on which the town was built. They intended to push Jesus over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd unseen. God said, not today. No harm will befall my son on this day. And God intervened. But on another time, God passed, or Jesus passed through a crowd. And God had to watch as his son was on his way to the cross. Because he knew he had a perfect will and plan for every single one of his children. And that's us. Let's say it together. God is at work in the lives of our kids. Let me see that, Sean. It's pretty messed up right now, right? pretty messed up. Let's see if we can fix this here. How does it go, Sean? God is at work in the lives of our kids, right? Could you open that bag for me, please? You see, this is a pretty messed up, it's a pretty messed up situation here. But see, sometimes we have to put our children in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Just like this. Sean, do you trust God? You know He has good things for you? Let me pull that out of there for me. Go ahead and pull that out. 
Let's all say thank you, Sean. I would like to turn our attention to the screens as we pray this prayer together. Lord God, thank you for giving us the privilege to raise children. Thank you for giving us these treasures to lead in love. Help us to raise them up in the way that they should go. Help us to discern when to intervene and when to stand by and watch as you work out your perfect will in their lives, just as you do and have done in our lives. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. How many of you have had that person in your life that was really encouraging? Do you know what I mean? That person that when you spend time with them, after you walk away, you're like, wow, I'm amazing. They really believe in me. My mom is like that for me. Sean's up here talking about hanging up on my mom. He, he won't hang up on my mom. He has to live with me. No, I'm just kidding. But my mom is like that for me. My mom will say to me, Sherry, you are so funny. You have the best sense of humor. Or she'll say, Sherry, you're so wise. God has given you so much wisdom. I just love to see God working in your life. Or she'll say, Sherry, you have such a soft heart. You just love people and you believe in people. She's so encouraging to me. I have the opportunity this morning to talk to you about praying for teenagers. When we pray for our teenagers, if we're not careful, we'll begin to look at all the things around us in this world and we'll get a little nervous. We'll look at the choices that are in front of them and the things they're exposed to and we'll become fearful. We'll begin to want to take control and our prayers will sound something like this. We'll begin to pray, God, help them not to get involved with that and stop them from choosing this and keep that from happening to them. And God, let this not be something that they are a part of and don't and not and stop. And then if God answered our prayers, those prayers that come from fear and control, if God answered those prayers, what we would have is a bunch of teenagers doing nothing. Because those prayers do not free them. They simply try to stop. If our prayers to God don't start at the same place that he starts from, we have a problem. When God starts, he never starts in a negative. God never starts with a negative. God's never in the negative. God's in the positive. So we need to have that same starting place when we are praying over our kids. We need to come from the same place he's coming from. Not from fear, not from control, not from, from an anxiety place. Genesis chapter 5, 22 and 23 talk about the fruits of the Spirit. I used to think the fruits of the Spirit were really cute. You know, I was raised in Sunday school and they would have like a little apple with eyeballs and little eyebrows. And I think they were so cute. But as I've grown, I've realized the fruits of the Spirit are not cute. They're powerful. Right? They're powerful. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Do you know that the fruits of the Spirit are the antonym or the antidote to the things the enemy is trying to do, to do in our kids' lives? 
Is your child struggling with anger? Does your child struggle with anger? You know, they're mad at you. They're mad at their sister. They're mad at their brother. They're mad at their shoes. They're mad at their cell phone. They're mad at their socks. They're mad at their toothbrush. They're just mad. Well, instead of praying, God, help them to stop being mad. Let's begin to pray, God, help gentleness and self-control be a mark on their life. We want to call out of them what God's already put in them. So we want to pronounce and announce it's in there. I know it's in there. I don't want just the anger to stop. That's not good enough. I'm going a step further and I'm calling gentleness and self-control. May they see there's a choice and may they make the right choice. How about depression? Is your teenager struggling with depression? Do you know what the world says about depression in our teenagers? The world says depression is like the common cold. They're all going to get it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not going to pray depression stop. We're going to pray joy. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. God, may my daughter wake up in the morning and be overflowing with joy. May her heart just begin to pour out joy. May she see a smile on her face and even wonder where it came from. But God, give her joy. No more depression. I'm calling out what you have put in there. How about worry? You have that worrier? You know, she's my worrier. He's my worrier. You can't talk in front of them about the bills because like they won't eat dinner to try and save you money, right? The worrier? the one who thinks they're an adult? Well, first of all, we're gonna stop calling them the worrier. They're not my worrier, right? We're not gonna call them that. Instead, we're gonna to begin to proclaim and announce peace. God, may your peace that surpasses all understanding guard his heart and his mind. It's in there and I'm calling it out again. We need to start where God's starting from. We need to have the same frame of mind. See, words are powerful. Words are so powerful. Do you know I started praying for wisdom because my mama said I'm wise and I don't want to let her down. Her words are powerful. So I'm praying, God, give me wisdom. She thinks I have it already. Let's not tell her, right? I'm praying for that because words are powerful and we want to live up to them and we need to, to, to do the same thing for our teenagers. Words are powerful. Prayer is more powerful. Prayer is more powerful. So let's start from the same place that God is starting from. So here's a prayer we can pray. Let's try and pray this together, okay? Lord, we agree with you that our teens have been made to live in love overflow in joy, and abide in peace. We pray that they be ever patient, consistently kind, full of goodness, and faithful to you. Father, with the authority you have given to us as your sons and daughters, we proclaim that our teens will exercise gentleness in their conduct and self-control over their thoughts actions and especially in their spiritual walk in the name of jesus we speak life and truth we bind the power of every negative and harmful word ever spoken over any one of our kids 
We agree with you about these strong, blessed, anointed, beloved, pure, lovely, honest, gifted, called, and chosen generation. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but we have some pretty awesome children's pastor and youth pastor. I want to get saved, and I want to do a magic trick. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, right now, I get to talk to you about how do we pray for singles, and a couple of people, I, I said I get to do this, and they go, why you're married? And so, let me explain. For the last several years, we've had a young adults group that's met in our house on Thursday nights. It's been incredible. We've met some fantastic people. And, and it's the church. They've become, in a way, the heart of the church. And, and so today I want to talk about all singles. That's not just young adults. And so let me start by telling you a story of my seven-year-old father who is a single. And he's also not a church member. He doesn't go to church. And he's not just not a Christian, but he's anti-God. And so we don't often talk about church things, church matters. He doesn't really know what all goes on here. And uh, one day he was saying, you know, I, I just want a lady. Like, I need a lady in my life, you know? And so we kind of go back and forth. He had seen one at the store, but it didn't work out. And, and I'm not going to lie, he's kind of hard to live with. And um, so he said, you know what, I might, I might go to church. So immediately in my head pops two images, okay, two storylines. One is my pops going to the church and he's like a creeper, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's 74 years old, going to this church and trying to meet all these old ladies or some young ladies. And I just don't know, like, I'm not sure about this. And then I see the potential of my dad going to church and coming to know a true and good, perfect savior. And I say, okay, dad, when you're ready, let's do it. So he still has to take me up on that, but we're gonna go someday, I believe it. What my dad needs so much is not a lady, but it's what he really needs as a single is community. And this is both community with others and communion with God. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dean made the point that the church is not struggling with identity, but intimacy. And in the same way, I believe that singles are not struggling with being lonely, and they're not necessarily struggling with finding community. Their struggle is to find a community that encourage, encourages, blesses, and helps grow their intimacy with God. See, I've seen many of my single friends leave the church because for a lot of reasons, but the ones I hear over and over is they don't understand me or they don't have a place for me or there's not people like me in the church. And while we may all agree or disagree, and I think there is some truth in their statements, to, we may agree or agree to the level of truth. What is true is that we are losing singles. What the numbers tell us is that the number of singles are increasing in this nation. In fact, in 2011, 44% of adults were singles. Just four years later, 53% of American adults were singles. The number is rising, it's increasing, and it's continuing to. Now let me contrast that with the church. A recent study showed that 55% of adults in the church are married and only 40% are single. Something is happening. Singles are searching and finding community and encouragement somewhere else. So with all that said, how do we pray for singles? Well, first let's look at Jeremiah 31, one through three, and this is from The Voice. And this is what the eternal one has to say. We always listen, right? There will come a time when I will, when I will be the God of all the clans and families of Israel. 
and they will be my people. This is what I, the Eternal One, declare to you. My people who have survived the sword found grace as they wandered in the wilderness. If you're single, you know that, what that feels like. When Israel went in search of rest, I appeared to them from far away and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Out of faithfulness, I have drawn you close. We need to realize, number one, that families are not the nuclear family that we've always thought it to be. But families are becoming singles and singles again, young adults, widows, and single parents. God is calling them to abundant living through relationship with him and relationship with others. We need to pray that they hear God calling. Now note, I didn't say that we need to pray that God would call them because he is calling them. He is calling them and we need to pray that their eyes and ears become open to his love and his faithfulness. And finally, we need to pray that we as the church become the family, the community, the landing pad that they need so that they can be encouraged as they pursue God. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for being the God of all families, even those that are untraditional. We are grateful that you draw us all near to you. We pray every single would know, first, that they are a whole person, valued, honored, and needed in this church body. Second, we ask that you would open the eyes and the ears of this group so they may hear you calling them to abundant living. You are calling them just as they are, not as others think they should be. Third, help us to be your hand extended, to listen with compassion, to be aware of opportunities, to bless and to keep our doors open wide for single parents, singles, and singles again, widows and young adults. Lord, they do not need our plan for their life. They need your perfect provision and direction. Amen. Amen. Are you guys enjoying this? Oh, come on. Are you guys enjoying this this morning? Come on. I want to go back to the, uh, to the source scripture of this message today. This is Nehemiah uh, chapter 4. I'm just going to read verse 14. It says this. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Someone say remember. Come on, say remember. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and, the fi and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I get to talk this morning about praying for your wives. There's so much power in simply the fact of remembrance. I'm going to say that again. There's power in remembering the Lord in every situation that you walk through, every fight, every, every situation that you're walking into. There is power in simply the fact that you remember the Lord. I love how he prefaced the battle with remembering who you are. You don't know who you are until you know whose you are. I want you to know this this morning, that, that, it, that whatever situation you're going to, if you simply have remembrance of who God is in your life, the battle's already won. You can walk into any dark room, any dark door, any dark situation, proclaim the Lord, and the battle is won because you remember who you are. It's true today. Come on. How many of you guys uh, uh, are, I'm kind of over this social media um, world that we're living in you know I, and i'm not talking about like politics that's a whole nother thing but like i'm talking about like couples on social media 
Like, like, you know those couples that are always posting, oh, look at how in love we are. There's, you know, like, you know, the people who walk around with, like, selfie sticks out all the time, they're just, they're just, they're documenting every moment of every day. I have, I have a, a brother and sister-in-law, and every post that they make looks like a sandals commercial. And I'm like, guys, come on. That's not, re come on. Like, People come up to Nicole and I, and we, we had a very, very, uh, we, we went to Disneyland a couple of weeks ago. It was a great trip. It was awesome. And if you looked at simply the posts that we made on our social media, you would have said that's the greatest trip that has ever taken place. But the truth of the matter is, that was about 10 minutes of the trip. You see, we post our, 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 our highlight reels on social media, but then the rest of the time, it's not the case. You see... The, the day at Disneyland was a great time, you know, I took my son on his first uh, ride and it was just great, it was awesome, but then the next day we had this bright idea to go to the beach. And let me just preface this, I, I, I asked permission to tell this story from my wife, so just know that. Um, but we went to the beach, and, you know, uh, I, I love the beach. Who here loves the beach? I love going to the beach. Just the, I love going to the beach, just hanging out, chilling. But my favorite beach in, in the Los Angeles area is Malibu. How many of you guys have ever been to Malibu? You know, Malibu is a great beach. You know, you see it all over TV. But, but we went to Manhattan Beach, which is not Malibu. And I slowly realized, actually not slowly, very quickly, I realized how different the beach is when you have two kids under two years old. It's not the same. I don't like the beach so much no more. So we load the car up in the morning, and, and, and uh, it's about a 45-minute drive to the beach, and, and, we're, and we're having a good time. We're like, oh, this is going to be a great day at the beach. We're going to have so much fun. And then we get to the beach, and things change. We waited 30 minutes to find a parking spot, and then, we still, then I quickly realized that somebody forgot to grab the diaper bag. We had nothing. It was a bad day. Suddenly, we weren't so quick to post things. We weren't going to be like, hey, check out, we're all angry at each other, our kids are going nuts. Suddenly, something happened, like, like it got real quiet, there were some comments made, some looks of a sinister nature. I won't say who forgot the bag, but it quickly changed. And my wife, she made an amazing comment. She goes, I don't like you right now. I was like, well, that feeling's mutual. <laughs> but the point is, is that no marriage is perfect. How many of y'all know that your marriage is not perfect? But I believe this, I, I, I truly believe this, is that if we can bathe, cover our marriages in prayer, then, then, then they will not become a marriage that, they, that becomes prey of the enemy. You see, when you do not bathe something in prayer, when you are not covering your marriage in prayer, it opens up the doors. Like Pastor Dean said, he finds the cracks in the wall. And the truth of the matter is, is that, is that if we can pray over our wives as husbands, if we can pray over our wives as the church, as the wives of our, of our church, we will see uh, powerful women rise up and accept the mantle that God has called them to do great things. My wife is incredible. I love my wife beyond everything. Look at my social media. You'll see I love my wife. But the truth of the matter is, is that she is, she's a mom of two, of two kids who are under two years old. That's hard. That is really hard. She's at home all day with two. I mean, it's hard. When we got married, somebody told me, hey, happy wife, happy life. 
That's false advertising. That's not true. <laughs> you see, as we pray for our wives, and what I pray for my wife is, I don't, we shouldn't be praying that our wives would be happy. We should be praying that our wives should be whole. You see, there's a difference between happiness and wholeness. You see, Jesus came to make us whole. He didn't come to make us happy. I want you to understand this today, is that, that we need to change the happy wife, happy life saying to say, whole wife, whole life. Whole wife, whole life. You see, when our wives begin to raise up and, and, to, and to understand their identity in Jesus, friends, we will see powerful women. And I just want to give you four quick prayers that I pray over my wife. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So my prayer, number one, for my wife is, Lord, protect her joy. She's in a season of being a mom. She's in a season that is not easy. And, 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 and I could not do this. I couldn't do what she does. But I pray every day, God, protect her joy. Because how many of you know, Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if the enemy wants to get you, the first thing he's going after is your joy. If he can get your joy, he sure as heck can get your strength. Number two, God, give her a growing need for you. Psalms 121 says, my help comes from God. My help comes from the Lord. I pray over my wife that, that she would every day have a deepening need for Jesus. Because if she needs Jesus, I, there are things that he can do that I can't do. Hello. But the truth of the matter is, is that if she can have a deepening need for Jesus on a daily basis, friends, she will be whole. She will be happy. She will be healthy. Number three says this. God, shield her from spiritual attack. Shield her from spiritual attack. If he's going after her joy, he's going after her strength. And that opens up for spiritual attack. But, but Psalms 3.3 says, he is your shield. So God, protect our wives from spiritual attack. Number four, build her love. 1 John 4.19 says, because he loved, we then get to love. You see, if she has a realization and a revelation of God's love for her, that she's a daughter of the, all, of the almighty king of the universe, she will walk in wholeness. She will walk in happiness. She will walk in the calling that she has on her life. It doesn't, she doesn't need me. She has Jesus. If we pray these over our wives, when she realizes who she is in Jesus, she will be powerful. So I want to declare this as a church over the wives of our church. Uh, check this out. Put this up there. Let's read this together. Say one, two, three. Dear Father, thank you for the wives of RLC. We declare these things with confidence over our wives. Protect their joy every day. Let them remember where it comes from. Let their need for you always grow because without you, all else fails. Shield them from spiritual attack because you are the strong tower. Build their love for you. You modeled love for us. Let them operate in that same love as they are a light to so many. We declare these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, give Jesus some praise this morning. Amen. I said in first service I was nervous because I don't normally do this. Many of you know I'm the worship pastor, not the preacher. But as I stand here, I'm not nervous because I'm standing in front of you. I'm nervous because... To be able to teach what the Holy Spirit says with accuracy is very important. Very I take it very, very seriously. So as I prayed for you this week over what I'm responsible for sharing is praying for husbands. This is what I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to share with you. Women of God, many of times we say to our husbands or we say to ourselves, I mean I'll say it to them, if he would just listen to me, 
He would know which direction to go. But instead, we want to be praying, God, let him hear you so that he might know the direction to go. Holy Spirit said posture. We have to understand our posture. That means you have to understand your role and you have to understand the role that he is in. When we understand these roles, we know how to execute our job well. Amen? Husband's role. Ephesians 5 and 24 says this. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. That means he is responsible to protect and to answer to God for the dealings of our family unit. That is a lot of pressure. Now, we don't have time to get into really breaking it all down, so this is not going to be exhaustive. But women of God, when we understand the load and responsibility that are on the men of God in our lives, it helps equip us for how to play. Let's not, how to pray. Let's not, let's not argue with God over all this, okay? I want to say first, my, my husband is a mighty man of God. He's not here this morning because he is working. But this man of God, if you know my testimony, prayed me from death back to life. God in heaven heard my husband's voice and said to me, you come back because he's calling you back. And so I'm standing here as a testimony of that that God hears our prayers. So be assured, God hears us, okay? But when we pray, women of God, we need to understand who we are to this man of God. If you look in the scriptures, you will see examples of how wives are confidants. What's a confidant? A confidant is, is someone that hears the secrets that when there's a private matter, it is trusted, entrusted to them not to repeat it, but to take it and to manage it well. You see this with Abraham and Sarah. When Abraham, they went into the land, and he said, don't tell them that you're my, my wife because you're a fine woman and they're gonna kill me <laughs> if they know. So I'm, we just call you my sister. She held it. She held on, even though she may have had to go through some difficult stuff. Why? Not so much because she trusted Abraham though she did, but she trusted God more. That is our role, women of God, to trust God completely as we trust him to lead the men of God in our life, and God will begin to work things out for our good. It's a mystery, and it's amazing. The second thing a woman of God is a companion. We're a companion for the journey. A companion is a person with whom one spends a lot of time or with whom one travels. One of a pair of things intended to complement or match each other. This is, though I, I'm still learning how to do this well. I think all of us, any married couples not learning how to do this well. If, you, if you've got to figure it figured out, I just want to like rub up against you, get your anointing. <laughs> Because, man, it's, it's, it's something that we are learning. May, oh God, may we be trustworthy companions for this journey. Now, don't get it twisted that this means there's a lack of responsibility on our part. There is, there, like I said, I can't go into 
the depth of all of this. And don't get it twisted that I'm not a strong black woman. Come on, somebody. My husband would tell you. But by God's grace, Lord, help me. I am a submitted woman of God. I am submitted to the authority of my husband. And I'm grateful for the call that God has on his life. So as we pray for our husbands, we want to pray according to the will of God. There are four things that stand out to me about this. One is that we need to pray in the spirit. We cannot assume that we know the answers. We must pray in the spirit. If you have your prayer language, I encourage you, begin to activate it and pray in the spirit. The word says that if you don't know what to, what to pray, Holy Spirit prays through you. Fasting. We need to practice fasting because it crucifies the flesh and allows the spirit to rise up. There are certain things that cannot happen without fasting in our lives. I encourage you women of God, begin to fast for your husbands and to, and to pray. And then listen. We need to listen to our husbands. We need to listen to the, their heart. Sometimes their words get us all like, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, no, no. And we, we get all, I know I do, I get all like lost in the words. But when I listen to the heart and then take that heart and connect it to the word of God and the spirit of God, then the Lord begins to move in a way that I could not make happen Scott, my husband, could not make happen. Only God can make happen. So let's pray together. We're going to pray as we have corporately. If you're a wife here in the room, or if you want to be a wife in the room, come on. <laughs> can we pray this together? Father, you are the only wise God. I ask you to give my husband your wisdom and strength for our family. In the name of Jesus, I bind any evil that would try to come against him. I ask for your hedge of protection around him. Lead him into all truth as he seeks your plan. May he hear your direction. Help me to be an encouragement and trustworthy counsel. Unite us to do your will as your spirit leads in every matter that concerns us and our household. When discouragement of life comes, let his faith be strong in you. May we give you all the glory because you will work everything together for our good. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's the Breakfast of Champions this morning. This is good stuff. I want to talk to you about praying for the church. How many knows we need to pray for real life church? One of the things I like to do in my free time is I'm a blogger. I like to spread kingdom content on the world wide web. And, and so one of the patterns I've seen over the past few years is this, this pattern on Christian websites of this certain topic that keeps getting blogged about uh, the church. I'll give you a couple examples of some, some blog post tiles from ChristianityToday.com. They had one, just give me Jesus, a closer look at Christians who don't go to church. Uh, on another website, it, it was, there was one, the time of a church is over and gone. 
Another one, relax, Christian, you don't have to go to church. Another one, 12 reasons millennials are over church. Uh, I will not leave Jesus, but I'm done with the church. An open letter to the church that offended me. Four reasons I'm glad I left the church. 15 reasons why I left church. Now, I want to be sensitive. I'm always sensitive to an individual, and, and uh, you know, I know there's, there's real hurt and pain. But, you know, four reasons I left the church, 15 reasons. You only got 15? That's it? If I left the American church today, I could give you at least 37 off the top of my head. At least. I mean, 15, you're not even involved yet if you only got 15. You could pick up 15 at the church picnic next week. Come on. So again, I know, I know there's some real pain out there, and there are some horror stories, but that's the exception, not the rule. When we live in such a negative environment towards the church, which is God's ecclesia, how can we pray for the church with God's heart? We're referencing Nehemiah. And it's a fascinating scene there in chapter 1 when the news of Jerusalem's broken down walls come to Nehemiah. He doesn't respond with cynicism. He doesn't say, oh, thank God I'm not in Jerusalem anymore. That place is a joke now. It's how a lot of people talk about church. But no, this is, this is what it says in, in Nehemiah 1.4. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah had a burden for Jerusalem because it was God's chosen city and it caused him to pray kingdom prayers. Think about this. If you don't have a burden, you can become a burden. If you don't have a burden, you can become a burden. I ran into a guy and, and, and we started talking and we got onto the topic. I shared with him that I was a pastor and he, he made a point to tell, well, you know, you don't, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And then he went on a rant about all the things that were wrong with church. And again, I listened to him and, and cared about his situation. I said, you're absolutely right. There is not a scripture in the Bible that says that you need to be a church to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's about faith in Jesus. However, don't forget that the church is Jesus' bride and he is passionate about his bride. Well... You talk about a deer in the headlights, like, like he, he didn't know what to say. The church is Jesus' bride, friend. If we're going to pray for the church, we have to have his heart for the church. Listen to the burden that Jesus has for his church in Ephesians 5, 26, 25 through 32. It's a passage to motivate husbands to love their wives by using Jesus' passion for the church. Verse 25, he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body as the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife and the two are united into one this is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one now, I know, guys, 
being the bride of Christ isn't always the most exciting metaphor. I'll just speak for myself. I don't picture myself in a wedding gown coming down an aisle towards Jesus as the bride of Christ, as a man. But I know that the same passion that a bridegroom has for his bride is the same passion that Jesus has for me, and it's the same passion he has for the church. C-H-U-R-C-H, the church. We are his bride. We've been praying at the artisan. Pastor Dean has been leading us in prayer at the artisan for the past month on Tuesday nights. And we've been praying for the Del Paso Heights region, but we've been praying for us too, saying, God, make us into who you want us to be. Let us use this facility as a resource for your kingdom the way you want it to be used. God, show us who we are to be. And, and God is moving in that prayer meeting. And God, there's a flow of the Holy Spirit that's electric because God is interested in moving in his church. And when you're praying for the church, God is there with you because he cares about his church, friends. I don't pray for the church because it's perfect. I don't pray for the church because it has no flaws. I pray for the church because Jesus is praying for his church. I wouldn't be here without the church, friends. So I want to give you four ways we can pray for real life church. If you, if We've given you a lot to pray for, so maybe you could take one night a week or one morning a week and just set it aside to pray for real life church. Pray for real life church to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Pray for real life church to dwell in unity, to be one. Pray for real life church to have open doors to spread the gospel, not just for leadership, but for you. For the person on the left and right-hand side of you and the person in the front of you and in back of you, pray for all of us to have open doors to spread the gospel and to speak the word of God with boldness, with accompanying signs and wonders. Let's pray the following prayer as we have it on the screen. Lord, we pray for your bride, Real Life Church. We pray that she would be rooted and grounded in the river of your healing love. Pour out your spirit on every dry and thirsty heart. We ask you to make us one as the family of God. Remove divisions and offenses. We contend for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We ask you to open doors for every person in our church to spread the gospel. We ask for divine appointments to share the gospel with our words and good deeds. We ask you to anoint your church to speak the word of God with boldness. We resist the spirit of fear and ask you to extend your hand from heaven to do signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you guys stand with us? One thing for sure, we're in good hands, aren't we? Can we give our team a hand, you guys? Come on. Thank you guys so much. Hey, you get seven preachers on the stage, you know you're going late. That's all I got to say. But listen.